The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Jesus said, I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. The Gospel of the Lord. Man is born the youngest of the siblings and quickly becomes his father's favorite. And his brothers hate him for it. In their jealousy, they capture him and at first decide to kill him, but then instead decide to make some money on him and sell him into slavery. Years later, the brothers are desperate to find a place where their people can survive because of famine. And they travel to a distant land and are shocked to find their brother, whom they assume dead. And they know that the corrupt nature of this world would expect that that brother, now powerful, would demand that the Pharaoh cast them out. You see, this world would say, now's your chance, Joseph. Take your revenge. And so the brothers are terrified because they fully expect Joseph to do the predictable and leave them to die in their starvation. But they weren't counting on something that Joseph had that they didn't. They weren't counting on Joseph's faith. They weren't counting 
that Joseph's understanding of the love of God was greater than their sinfulness and his capacity to forgive. So he embraced them instead and said, bring them all. Find food and shelter here, my brothers, and please bring me my father. A young white man, a neo-Nazi, walks into Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina. And the black men and women at the Bible study welcome him and allow him to be a part of their discussion of the sacred text for over an hour. And as he leaves, he pulls out a gun and starts shooting and leaves nine dead. You see, the corrupt parts of this world had convinced him that if he did such a thing, the result would be a race war, which he thought would be a good thing. Surely, surely, this killing of black men and women in their own church would be enough to enrage a whole community, cause riots and start a war, because that's what this world says would make sense. But he wasn't counting on something those men and women and their people had that he didn't. He wasn't counting on their faith. A faith that led them not to the streets in riot, not seeking retribution, but a faith that took them to the courthouse, to his trial, to look at him and say, we forgive you. He didn't understand the power of faith. so much like one of my personal heroes. In 1960, a little girl by the name of Ruby Bridges, at six years old, becomes one of six black students chosen to integrate the school system in New Orleans. At six years old, Ruby goes to her first day of school, not to the teacher to which she was first assigned because that teacher would not teach a black student and quit, but instead to a teacher new to the school system who said, I will teach this child. And at six years old, Ruby Bridges had to be escorted by federal marshals because of all of the white men and women who lined the streets and the sidewalks eager to yell derogatory statements, throw rotten food at this little child. One woman gave her a black doll in a coffin as she entered school one day. On her third day, her mother had to go back to work. So little Ruby walked alone with the federal marshals, with her head held high. And those marshals would say, 
She keeps the best spirits. Her teacher and Ruby sit in a classroom, just the two of them, because no parents will have their white children in a classroom with a black child. And they pull their children out of school. But Ruby goes. For more than a year, more than half a year, she goes entirely by herself. The full year, she's the only child in her class. It takes till after Christmas for her teacher to find out that there are white students in the building in first grade, but they're in a different classroom. And the teacher goes to the principal and says, this is pointless. It's about integration, not separation in the same building. But the teachers refuse to have Ruby in her class. So the negotiation is to take a few white children a few hours a day to Ruby's class. And yet, Ruby goes and Ruby learns. At six years old, every day, she marches through adults who are three times her size who are yelling at her because they've been corrupted into thinking that if they yell hard enough this well, they would never call her a child because she is less than human in their eyes. It would be enough to make her quit. One day, Ruby's teacher is looking out the door and sees Ruby stop halfway down the sidewalk and face the men and women who are yelling at her. And she watches the little girl's mouth move. This makes the people angry. When she comes inside, her teacher says, Ruby, why did you stop to talk to them? She said, no, ma'am. I didn't stop to talk to them. I stopped to pray for them. You see, I had forgotten before I left and remembered halfway up the sidewalk. Because every day, before Ruby left her house, and when she got back home again, she prayed the same prayer. Prayer for herself, for bravery and courage. And prayer for the men and women who yelled at her every day. A man interviewed Ruby by the name of Mr. Cole and said, Ruby, he was an atheist. Ruby, why do you pray for them? Because God tells me to, she said. Because Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Because Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, so I pray Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Those men and women who thought they could stop Ruby Bridges didn't count on one thing. They didn't count on her faith. Faith in a God that was stronger than their hatred. Faith in a God that loved her way more than they ever could yell at her and cast her out. A God that she knew was watching and she knew cared about what was happening in Louisiana to a little black-year-old, six-year-old girl. 
she knew that that was more powerful than anything they could ever say. They didn't count on her faith. Brothers and sisters, today in our gospel, Jesus is asking us to rewrite the narrative. We have a world today that tells us what the rules must be. We have a world today that tells us because you are Democrat or you are Republican, you have to hate certain groups of people. You have to be angry by certain issues. You have to be furious when certain things are said because that's the way this corrupt world says we are to behave. Hate your enemies, love those who think like you, and ne'er the two shall meet because that's the way it is, my friends. And today, Jesus says to us, they're not counting on your faith. Do we have enough? Do we have enough to rewrite the narrative that Jesus asked us to do today? To, in the face of the division and the hatred, say, no, no. That's actually not the way this has to go. That's actually not the way the story has to be written because I know a better way. Because I know a God who is about love, not hate, unity, not division, peace, not war. And I believe in that God more than your anger. I believe in that God more than your gaslighting. I believe in that God more than you. Who says, I don't have to be predictable. I don't have to do what you say I do. I can be a person of faith and rewrite the narrative. Before Dr. King was killed, he knew it was coming. And in probably his most famous sermon, Drum Major Instinct, at the end he acknowledges his death is near. And he says, when you are here, when it's time for me to die, I don't want a long funeral. Don't talk about the awards I have won. Don't talk about the places I went to school. Instead, say simply that I fought for justice. That I tried to care for the poor. That I tried to feed the hungry. Say those things about me. When they killed Dr. King, they thought they would kill a movement, but he chose instead to rewrite the narrative even before the shot was fired. And today we remember him. So brothers and sisters, is our faith enough? It only takes a little bit. Think of how small that heart of Ruby Bridges was at six years old. And yet it was big enough to change the world. The first black student to go to a white school in the whole country. 
do we rewrite the narrative? Do we allow our faith to be what drives us to say no? I know a different way. Amen.